All right, folks, here we are with an introduction. You may or may not be aware of the fact that I, Mike, by the way, this is Mike. If you didn't already know, this is Mike. You need to be listening to more of our content. But I have ADD, and I am not always on top of dealing with the manifestations of ADD. Last week was an example of that. I did not properly vet stuff prior to uploading it. This resulted in episodes coming out without their introduction announcing stuff that I was very excited about, that we were very excited about. And so I want to apologize about that because for those of you that are, are paying attention, you would have noticed uh, you would have noticed that something was off. So that's what the deal was with last week. So this week and future weeks, um, more likely than not, I will be doing an intro to announce these these aspects, these things. So uh, what I am announcing is the same stuff that was announced last week, which is we now have a Twitter. The Twitter is at polytheorypod. We have an email. The email is and.um.otherstuff at gmail.com. We have a Patreon. The Patreon is Patreon backslash polytheory and um, other stuff. And we have a Discord. The Discord is political theory and um, other stuff pod. Paul does the email for the most part. I do the Twitter for the most part. We're both uh, looking at the Patreon and the Discord. The Discord, as I said in my other little ditty, uh, you know, we're, we're both boomers. We're both not fully plugged in to all this stuff. So if you want to be a part of the Discord as of now, uh, I'd recommend... Or I don't think recommend. I think you would have to email us so that we can send an invite your way. Um, if you have any questions or concerns with any of our content, the Twitter and the email are are going to be your best bet for for gaining contact with us. Paul and I, we would both love to get some feedback and and uh, have some interaction with the people that are listening because it really blows us away that anyone's listening and we just want to make sure that y'all aren't bots or or whatever else uh yeah so this is uh this is the intro uh i'm doing for uh season two. Oh, and as far as the patreon if you're like wait why are these guys doing a patreon uh we have uh, a a video on the patreon that like our intro video that um that just goes over why we chose to do a patreon and uh so rather than taking up more of your time here i i will just direct you to that i hope you all enjoy the episode that you're about to hear and yeah thank you for for listening to my bullshit back 
capitalist realism, Paul and my, no, it's not. No, I capitalist realism is not what we're doing. Oh my god, and we haven't been doing it for so long. Okay, this the show is called. It looms large over uh, over us. It does loom large. Yes, over my psyche for sure. So the show is called Political Theory and um other stuff. The book is called The Racial Contract, and it's by uh, Charles W. Mills. And Paul and I are working on chapter one Quick today. Quick disclaimer, uh, we will not get anywhere near through it. No, but we might get through maybe the first section. Maybe. Claim, yeah, through the first section. Maybe. So my disclaimer was just going to be, as opposed to our other readings, the chapters in this book are much larger. Um, so we're going to have yep. significantly more parts per chapter for this book, which I think every shitty should just be super excited about because it's a great book. Yeah, and I would even say that I know he calls them chapters, but I would almost call them sections and say that the the sections inside of what he calls chapters, I would call a chapter, right. you know, because he's got uh, uh, th- this first section, uh, the racial contract is political, moral, and epistemological, is 10 pages. I feel like that's a, a good chapter size, but that's just me. That's yeah. just me. Do you want to start us off... Uh, with um, the first little blurb, I guess, and then and then I'll do yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, oh, and I was gonna say too. I feel like at least with this first section here, I think with capitalist realism, we did a lot of reading what they said, what he said, and then talking about what that made us think of in society, in the world, whatever. Yeah. I think with this book, at least with the first little bit, I think there's gonna be. A lot more of reading what they say, he says and then attempting to explain in our own words what he is saying rather than necessarily yeah. giving examples of what he's saying. If Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying we can't give examples, but I feel like it will be, at least for me, more productive to try to explain what I just read. Right. And, I, you know, and so much of this, uh, you know, especially from my background, I won't have real examples from my real life like i am a, a white dude who grew up in a fairly affluent well world yeah town. and and there so, are going to be sections uh, where he's just talking about like philosophical history kind of and it's like okay i mean we right, could talk yes. about how that has maybe implications and we definitely will but i do think there will be parts where it's just like all right this is uh what i think yes and and i, I will often be wrong yeah but it, sure. it, it's you know <laughs> taking a stab at it up for interpretation. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm okay. going to just start reading. Uh, so, uh, chapter one, or section one, whatever, overview. I will start with an overview of the racial contract, highlighting its differences from, as well as its similarities to, the classical and contemporary social contract. The racial contract is political, moral, and epistemological epistemological the racial contract is real and economically in determining who gets what the racial contract is an exploitation contract all right section one. Oh yeah no 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 it's okay uh the racial contract is political moral and epistemological is the um like section in the chapter um did you um did you uh, i was gonna go did you want to go don't go for it do it okay get into it The social contract is actually several contracts in one. Contemporary contractarians usually distinguish, to begin with, between the political contract and the moral contract, before going on to make 
sub, would you say subsidiary? Subsidiary. Subsidiary distinctions within both. I contend, however, that the orthodox social contract also tacitly presupposes an epistemological contract, and that for the racial contract, it is crucial to make this explicit. All right, so what that paragraph very short paragraph means me how i understand it is that the uh, epistemology is like the study of knowledge um right and so a what i think accepting that there are right and wrong things as well via that knowledge doesn't that have yeah but what i but what i think it means in this context is that he's saying that that the social contract presupposes a epistemological framework that isn't always uh pointed out or made clear and he's saying that for the racial contract meaning like him explaining what the racial contract is it's really important to acknowledge that epistemological framework yeah like i think that it's important yeah i think he's saying it's important to acknowledge that also and i could be wrong that this is something that people justified you know, in some people's heads, they have actually thought this through, uh, and in their heads, justify the current racial um, dynamic. When society was set up, they were able to justify it to themselves with what they thought were justified opinions or whatever to set up a society like this. I think he's saying like it's important to know that they knew what they were fucking doing. I'm gonna uh, continue. So, yeah, uh, the political contract. Okay, so this is one of the two contracts he's talking about. The political contract is an account of the origins of government and or political obligations to it. The subsidiary distinction sometimes made in the political contract is between the contract to establish society, thereby taking natural, pre-social out of the state of nature and reconstructing and constituting them as members of a collective body and the contract to uh, establish the state thereby transferring outright or delegating in a relationship of trust the rights and powers we have in the state of nature to a sovereign governing entity the moral contract on the other hand is the foundation of the moral code established for the society by which the citizens are supposed to regulate their behavior. The subsidiary distinction here is between two interpretations to be discussed of the relationships between the moral contract and the state of nature morality. In modern versions of the contract, most notably Rawls, of course, uh, the political contract largely vanishes. Modern anthropology having long superseded or mm-hmm. yeah, superseded yeah. the naive social origin, naive social origin histories of the classical contractarians. The focus is then almost exclusively on the moral contract. This is not conceived of as an actual historical event that took place on leaving the state of nature. Rather, the state of nature survives only in the attenuated form of what Rawls calls the original position, and the contract is a purely hypothetical exercise, a thought experiment, 
in establishing what a just basic structure would be with a schedule of rights, duties, and liberties that shapes citizens. A moral psychology, conceptions of the right, notions of self-respect, etc. So I think he's what he's saying here is that um, there were two contracts, the um, one that the political one and the moral one. The political one isn't as important anymore because uh, some of the presuppositions that the historical contractarians were uh, making, anthropology has kind of proven weren't a thing or aren't a thing. And now yeah. it's it's focused on the moral contract, which is like more of an emphasis on the I don't know. I don't understand what the, the moral contract is. So the moral contract is more of a thought on what makes a society just, I would say, or like the moral framework of that society, um, whereas the political contract was in a way more of that like justification for creating societies or almost like the colonial justification. Like we got to get these fucking natives out of their savagery. Okay. Um, and then, you know, with anthropology, and I think I could be totally wrong on this, but with anthropology kind of being like, well, native people weren't Savages. a fucking, right. yeah, they had very large societies and very intricate things going on. And uh, it is not correct that it was okay for us to take over just because we thought we had a better lifestyle. Right. Um, and so now it's more of, I guess, and so we don't talk about that anymore because it's pretty established or rational people don't talk about that anymore um, because it's a fairly established thing. Um, so now it's more to the movement of, of uh, talking about what makes a moral society, okay. um, which I, I could be totally wrong here, but it does seem like that's often the, the political discussion now, like what is the, the morally... Is it morally justifiable just to give poor people money? Won't that just corrupt them to their, you know, just that sort of shit, I think, could be okay. wrong, you know, okay. sort of deal. Or, like, you know, black people do commit disproportionately large amounts of crime, so obviously, you know, kind of yeah. shit. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, Did you want to take the next uh, couple paragraphs? Sure, or? a little paragraph, yeah. Now the racial contract, and in quotes, the racial contract has a theory that is, the distanced critical examination of the racial contract follows the classical model in being both socio-political and moral. It explains how society was created or crucially transformed, how the individuals in that society were reconstituted, how the state was established, and how a particular moral code and a certain moral psychology were brought into existence. Uh, this is all in parentheses. I'll tell you when it ends, it's a big one. As I have emphasized, the racial contract seeks to account for the way things are and how they came to be that way, the descriptive, as well as the way they should be, the normative, since indeed one of its complaints about white political philosophy is precisely its otherworldliness, its ignoring of basical, basic political realities, end parentheses. But the racial contract, as we will see, is also epistemological, prescribing norms for cognition to which its signatories must adhere. A preliminary characterization would run something like this. Uh, and then I'll just read through it, and then yeah, I guess we'll discuss it, I think. The racial contract is that set of formal or informal agreements, or meta-agreements, in per begin parentheses, higher-level contracts about contracts, which set the limits of the contract's validity, okay, end parentheses, between the members of one subset of humans, henceforth designated by shifting racial, phenotypical, genealogical, cultural criteria, C1, C2, C3, uh, ellipsis as white 
and coextensive, making due allowance for gender differentiation. With the class of full persons to categorize the remaining subset of humans as non-white and of a different and inferior moral status, subpersons, so that they have a subordinate civil standing in the white or white world politics the whites either already inhabit or establish or in transaction has aliens with these politics, and the moral and juridical rules normally regulating the behavior of whites in their dealings with one another either do not apply at all in dealings with non-whites or apply only in a qualified form, begin parentheses, depending in part on a changing historical circumstances and what particular variety of non-white is involved, end parentheses. But in any case, the general purpose of the contract is always the differential privileging of the whites as a group with respect to the non-whites as a group, the exploitation of their bodies, land, and resources, and the denial of equal socioeconomic opportunities to them. All whites are beneficiaries of the contract, Though some whites are not signatories to it. I love that last line. I love that yeah. last line. You're going to have to uh, do a recap on that, my my ADD. You said... Um, oh, is it juridic? Oh, okay. I don't even know what that means. I think it just means... Uh, well, let's just... We should look it up. But when I've heard it, and the only reason why I know how to say it is because I've uh, listened to this book. It does kind of, it means what I thought it meant, uh, which is why I probably pronounced it like that. It's related to judicial yeah, proceedings. Right. Yeah. Because of that, I stopped. My attention went to that for the last, from that word down. So will you talk about? Um, it's kind of like what we talked about in the intro. Uh, he's explaining that the racial contract is that contract that was made between all white people. You know, that's when he's talking about phenotypical, genealogical, cultural criteria as white. Um, so they established what white was, excluding, depending on who, uh, you know, other Europeans at the time, at times Irish were excluded. So the category being white and what was defined as that group by that group as white at the time, they made all of these deals with each other. Like, we will treat you like this. You will treat me like this. But every other person that they did not define as white was not included in that contract. And so there was no obligation if you were in that white group to treat black person, an Asian person, any person that, you know, depending on the time, an Irish or Slavic person uh, who didn't fall into your current definition as white, you did not receive any of the benefits of that while coexisting in society. Okay. Sort and, of deal. Um, and then, you know, the last part being, and, you know, they have privilege to all of your shit. Like, if you aren't in this group, you don't even qualify to say you own the things that you own. Like, if they need it, you don't get to have it anymore. And then that last part, obviously, all whites are beneficiary of the contract. If you're in the party, you have those benefits. Like, truly, uh, for like a modern example, and this might not even encompass what he's talking about, if I get pulled over, I get treated like a white person. There's no question about it. Nobody is aggressive towards me. I'm allowed to move my hands. I could say things to the cop. If I was in the mood, I could make a joke to the cop. These things would all be fine. He's going to ask me to politely sit in my car and then most likely come back and be like, well, I see that you don't have any tickets. Uh, This was a pretty minor infraction. Just try not to do it again. Have a good day sort of deal. Now, granted, I will I'm a beneficiary of that, but I uh, hope I would qualify uh, as being one of the people who weren't a signatory of it. This isn't how I want things to be, clearly. uh, And I had, uh, especially having no societal standing, uh, I had no participation in the creation of this contract. But it would be very naive 
Um, and I think uh, selfish for me to sit here and pretend that I don't benefit from that shit. I can feel those benefits uh, truly on a day-to-day fucking basis. Earlier you said, and then for a while, Irish people uh, weren't part of, of what was white. And that, that phrasing makes it sound like they were allowed or considered white and then they weren't and then they were again. But historically, it was like Anglo-Saxons were white. Everyone else was mm-hmm. not. So like yeah. Spaniards, Italians, Celtics, Gaelic, I guess. I'm not sure. Celtic. No, yeah. Celtic is it. The Celtics. Over time, those people were allowed in for different reasons. And generally... Uh, historically, for those allowed-in groups, it was after, like, a clear subservience um, of parts. You know, like, okay, you win. Well, and also, and I think he talks about in the book, but I think he even says that there's a quote from an Irish or Italian man that says, like, when I got off the boat, the first word I learned in America was nigger. And he talks about how, I think in this book, how it's a, a part of being allowed into whiteness is the rejection of black people uh, yeah. other yep so yep it will be obvious therefore that the racial contract is not a contract to which the non-white subset of humans can be a genuinely consenting party though depending again on circumstances it may sometimes be politic to pretend that this is the case rather it is a contract between those categorized as white over the non-whites, who are thus the objects rather than the subjects of the agreement. And you bring this up uh, very well, pretty consistently, that like just because there's a black sheriff or just because there is uh, a Latino congresswoman does not mean that they have equal footing in this playing field. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden those subset uh, has this book subset of humans now have equal representation and say at the table no the, it basically in you know you you say this all the time i'm really taking your words but you know no you are now like a like he says an object you are now just a black person in this white yep. system it's and that's a very different thing um, than having any sort of equal footing or any say and and to be part of that to be allowed in you really have to be okay with with that system yeah well you have a great example of that right uh, maybe with teachers don't you have a like teachers discipline oh yeah students? yeah like yeah the... i mean there's all kinds yeah um i think uh in ibram x Kendi's book the fucking stamp from the beginning he talks about um that racist ideas are are colorblind you know so I think that was in uh, not his – maybe that was in his book. But anyhow, yeah, it talks about how like whether the teacher uh, – both black and white teachers were surveyed. What was looked at is like disciplinary infractions and they would take the same infraction. And for white students, it was you know phrases like uh, troubled, um, lacking um, guidance, lacking um, emotional development or whatever troubled were used. Uh, and then for the same disciplinary issue by both white and black teachers, phrases for black children doing the same infraction was, you know, um, dangerous, uncontrolled, unhinged, violent. violent. Yeah, stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, well, and the same thing with uh, in that book, Medical Apartheid. I can't remember who wrote that, but she, the author, talks about how doctors, both white and black doctors, 
will give black people less painkillers than uh, white people for the same amount of pain. Yep. That's fucking goddamn. Because and, and that's no one's fault. They're not doing that intentionally. They're they've just our culture over generations has taught us subconsciously right. that like black people are stronger, tougher, more durable than white people. And so they don't need as and probably much painkillers. Subconsciously. Uh, you might even say more likely to use it for illicit reasons. Yeah, maybe that too. Um, okay, so um, oh yeah, okay. So so you just explained the part I read. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. The logic of the classic social contract, political, moral, and epistemological, then undergoes a corresponding refraction uh, with shifts accordingly uh, in the key terms and principles. Politically, the contract to establish society and the government, thereby transforming abstract raceless men in uh, quotations from denizens of the state of nature into social creatures who are politically obligated to a natural or neutral, sorry, neutral. a neutral state, becomes the founding of a racial polity. Whether white settler states where pre-existing populations already are or can be made sparse, or what are sometimes called sojourner colonies, the establishment of a white presence and colony rule over existing societies, which are somewhat more populous or whose inhabitants are more resistant to being sparse. In addition, the colonizing mother country is also changed by its relation to these new polities uh, so that its own citizens are altered. Um, and so that's just saying, I think that's just saying that um, when countries go out to colonize places that, first of all, there's two types. The f first being uh, where there are pre-existing populations that are that are either sparse or able to be made sparse or the second one being where the people aren't able to be made as sparse so i'm thinking before it was uh before it was vietnam it was uh owned by the french and it was called um french something but anyhow i would say i would say that's an example of that the existing population they could not make sparse and i think I think uh, he's also kind of pointing out that, like, they felt obligated to do that to these societies, that, like, these white colonizing societies felt that they owed those those people that to take them out of that natural state and put them into, like, the neutral societal state, if you will, you know, like that transforming them into social creatures sort of deal. And uh, and then it, it was kind of their prerogative to establish that white presence uh and colonial rule as well and then i think just at the end it's pointing out that like that act and i think it might lead into force uh, alters the the politics uh or polities of its own citizens okay. in the mother country um and i think some of what that might be referring to is you know like when we uh when america was you know conducting the genocide of our native peoples the government went out of its way to paint the native peoples uh as a terrible in the culture yeah, and the culture has just like terrible, and so um, I, I think maybe it's referring to, and if not, sorry. No, I think that I think you're right. There, that's how I see it too. Yeah, that they 
they kind of force those citizens into that racial notion by justifying what they're doing in those those colonial in the social contract the crucial human uh metamorphosis metamorphosis oh like the uh kafka book um yeah in beetles right (laughs) uh in the social contract the the crucial human metamorphosis is from natural in quotes man to quotes uh civil slash political uh man from the resident of the state of nature to the citizen of the created society this change can be more or less extreme depending on the theorist involved for rousseau it is a dramatic transformation by which animal-like creatures of appetite and instinct become citizens bound by justice and self-prescribed laws. For Hobbes, it is a somewhat more laid-back affair by which people who look out primarily for themselves learn to constrain their self-interest for their own good but in all cases the original state of nature supposedly indicates the condition of all men and the social metamorphosis affects them all in the same way in the racial contract by contrast the crucial metamorphosis is in the racial contract by contrast the crucial uh, metamorphosis is the preliminary conceptual partitioning and corresponding transformation of human populations into in quotes white and non-white men the role played by this quote state of nature then becomes radically different in the white settler state its role is not primarily to demarcate the in parentheses temporarily pre-political state of all in quotes men uh, in parentheses who are really white men uh, but rather the but rather the pre-political state or perhaps better non-political state insofar as pre suggests eventual in internal movement toward of non-white men the establishment of society thus implies the denial that a society already exists and i think uh i'm gonna sorry just stop for a second i think that's such a good point like rousseau and hobbes would never have admitted and most people don't discuss that um but when they're talking about it uh a there's no way that they're referring really to white people i mean they kind of are but that you know in their line of thought white people had been out of nature forever so that the reason these people are talking about it is that export like that push to bring the rest of the world to where they are um which is like we said before just complete bullshit it's just assuming that if you aren't white and you aren't us then you live in some pre-political um state of nature uh which you know that's why he's talking about the anthropology was proved it's been proven so wrong time and time and time again um to the point that we now know that uh there's been plenty of history where white civilization is the shit civilization and and furthermore those people didn't consider themselves at that point white and non-white right because they were n- not only uh, and i just saw i was uh re-watching um 
uh, Rick Burns is uh, Ken Burns' brother's uh, documentary, or maybe both Ken and Rick worked on it about New York, and uh, fucking um, uh, Martin Scorsese is in there, okay, and he's talking about how his his mother lived in one tenement building on you know 145th or whatever and his uh, dad lived on the opposite side of the street in another tenement building and when his mother met his father his mother was from a small town southeast of um what's that fucking i want to say nepal what's the italian fucking uh big city that uh, that i feel like naples naples Sicily. naples, naples. Okay. okay so okay. so <laughs> nepal goddamn so uh she lives like let's say southeast of uh naples in a small village and uh she meets his father and he lives uh where his village was northwest of naples right and when his, uh, or I guess it wasn't his mother, it maybe is his grandmother, uh, so another generation removed. But when she told him the story, she said that her parents were livid because they said, and the word she used was the Italian word for nation, that this dude was from uh-huh. another nation, right? And, the, and these are just villages that are, yeah, so, that's... so it's not it, like fucking white people White Italians did not think of themselves as Italian, especially not right. in the middle in, in medieval Europe. But even up until the 1800s, they did not think of themselves as Italians. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a great call out because I also think that's so misunderstood by people when they just glance over history by Americans, um, especially. Yeah, you know? by Americans. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think Europeans probably have yeah. a, a little bit better idea of where they came right. from. Um, but we also, a lot of Americans come from Europe and just have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Like, how many Italian Americans would have any concept of that when they're grouped in as an Italian American? Right. You yeah. know, it's. And they used to, obviously, you know, like they used to, <laughs> oh, you know, I, my family's from Sicily. It's like, oh, yeah. my family's from the mainland. It's like, oh, you know, we don't like and, you. And guys. I'm probably reaching here, but, it, you know, I would assume that some of it was intentionally done to reinforce. Uh, hegemony that is western society like these people were always like this they've been italians right. for you know this long which justifies what they've and it's all bullshit yeah you yep. know totally uh, totally and they don't use it themselves which is fucking wild totally oh and then i just also wanted to say i loved his i love how precise his language is where he talks about using non-political rather than pre-political because for these thinkers, Rousseau, Hobbes, these people weren't pre-political because it wasn't like on their own they would ever achieve a political society. Right. That they're right. non-political because these type of people are always going to stay in a uh, in state of state nature. State of nature. Right. Yep. yep. So yeah, I just call. love how good he's call. like fucking so on point with that shit. Uh, we're, okay. The creation of society requires the intervention of white men who are thereby positioned as already socio-political beings white man's burden right yeah <laughs> seriously uh white men who are definitionally already part of society encounter non-whites who are who are not who are savage in quotation marks uh residents of a state of nature characterized in terms of uh, wilderness jungle wasteland these the white men bring partially into society as subordinate citizens or exclude on 
reservations or deny the existence of or exterminate. In the colonial case, admittedly pre-existing but for one reason or another deficient societies, mm-hmm. um, yeah. deficient, stagnant, corrupt, are taken over and run for the benefit in uh, quotes, of the non-white natives who are deemed childlike, incapable of self-rule and handling their own affairs, and thus appropriately wards of the state. Here, the natives are usually characterized as, in quotes, barbarians rather than savages, their state of nature being somewhat farther away, though not, of course, as remote and lost in the pa- in the past, if it ever existed in the first place as Europeans' state of nature. But in times of crisis, the conceptual distance between the two, barbarian and savage, tends to shrink or collapse. For this technical distinction within the non-white population is vastly less important than the central distinction between whites and and non-whites that's like exactly what we were talking about yeah i'm gonna go off on a weird, really weird tangent here but just something this made me kind of think of that's not really related to the text is in my time in germany one of the things that i just was unaware of was how glorified native and not glorified is a bad word because uh how respected native american culture is in germany they are super like there are still books written about it like it's a really it's a thing kids are really into is you know like emulating native americans like they're really fucking cool and uh i found it ironic that in america we do the same thing with vikings um who over there are still viewed pretty negatively and like oh they just fucked shit up um and i just thought that was interesting that like as long as you're a society away the um, native or the savages or the barbarians seem pretty fucking cool because, well, they were pretty fucking cool, man. They had their own societies, their own culture, um, not just a little bit, but enough that other cultures now emulate it. Yep. Yeah, no, that is cool. Uh, well, we're, uh, we've obviously discussed a ton today. Um, we're going to take a break and kind of process. Yeah, I think you're right that this will be a good place to, to stop. And, you know, it's like we did uh, whatever, like four pages, you know, the book's mm-hmm. long. But this book is important enough that I don't care if it takes us six months to record this. You know, yeah, I no, don't care. I think it's I enjoy doing it and I think it's worthwhile. And me if too. it's uh, if someone looks at it, and it's like, wow, season two, 50 episodes. I'm not going to do all that. Well, then fuck you. You know? Yeah. No, for sure. And also for my own benefit, like this is yes. not a large book, but a very dense book. Yep. And I feel like even though we had already read the things we discussed today, that even in just this, I got more out of yep. it because of stopping to yep. talk about it. And, uh, you know, my brain, when I'm reading by myself, I will often incorrectly just fill in things that I don't know. Yes. Like I'll see a word and be like, okay, well, I know what that means. I'm just going to keep going. Um, and when we slow down and shit, I'm like, oh, man, uh, not only was I wrong about that, that really changes what that this means. What I thought. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. And, yeah, yeah. And it just gives you time to like point out stuff like that uh that pre-political versus non-political like yeah when i'm reading yes. by myself i'm just cruising and i'm like whatever but that's like a fucking smart thing for him to see and point out yes and very important in the, the um, whole concept the of 
what these assholes were doing. Yep, absolutely. All right, dude. Well, I'm so excited that we're working on this, and uh, we look forward to um, next episode, and thank you all for uh, tagging along. Have a great day.